Today we're going to be talking about a category of gifts that I'll call outreach gifts. How many of you have ever done, or let me ask you like this, how many of you have ever been part of an outreach through a church? ever done something where you, you know, went and did something, either it was a service project, which we've done those, uh, it might have been a knocking uh, project where you went and knocked on neighbor's doors and passed out invitations to your church, uh, things like that. So we've, we've had some of those things happen. In fact, July 4th is coming, and I see some folks that are usually here at July 4th when they uh, fly in from out of town, uh, but I'm, I'm glad that we are having July 4th um, celebration um, this year year. Hopefully it'll be completely normal back to the good old days. Uh, but I had a call the other day and was asked if, um, if Celebrate Church would be interested in doing what we've always done. And I said, yes, absolutely. We want to help out with that. If you're new and you don't know what I'm talking about, essentially July 4th, um, Clinton hosts one of the largest fireworks displays in the, um, in the whole region. And we have a chance to basically own the kids' uh, the kids jump zone and run that. And we've had some interesting experiences in times past uh, with that. But we've had some great conversations. We show up wearing our church t-shirt that says here to serve. And we serve and we make up conversation we make conversation with people who are in our community and make invitation to them to to come to our church so it's a great thing to be part of outreach but how many of you have been maybe uncomfortable with the thought of sharing your faith with someone it's okay to just own up to that in church we are not all called thank god to be evangelists in fact, if I could take just a minute and tell you about myself personally, outreach does not come easy to your pastor. I have to be very comfortable with the person before I just start talking about my faith. And yes, they do find out that I'm a pastor and they start conversations sometimes, but in building relationship, the whole side of being an evangelist does not come naturally to me. It is not comfortable. Um, I, I've not seen it done really well personally in some times or some uh, situations, and so I kind of have shied away from that. I really believe with all of my heart, knowing who I am and knowing what God's gifted me to do, that I am not Billy Graham. And I don't say that just because I don't have you know thousands of people in a service on a Sunday. I say that because I really believe God's gifted me and called me to minister to the church, to grow believers inside the church. Now, does that mean I should not share my faith? Absolutely not. We all are tasked with sharing our faith. And today we're going to talk a little bit about some ways that we can do that. But I want to encourage you not to just... Um, check out when we talk about this, because you may say, like I know Miss Crystal over here, she raised her hand really fast and high. Um, you may be an introvert, and it doesn't come naturally for you to just start a full conversation with the grocery clerk or the bag boy at Kroger and start saying things like, did you know that Jesus died for your sins and he wants to live inside of you? I mean, it's, I, I make it sound funny, but that's kind of what we imagine the conversation being like if we're not that comfortable with it. And so 
I own up to my own uncomfortability in this way, but I want to share with you what I really see in Scripture as two different things that are kind of positions. They are definitely positions, but they're also actions that are in this category of gifts that we call outreach. So the first outreach gift that we'll cover today is the gift of an apostle. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 14. I'm not sure if they've got everything fully functioning back there, but um, there we do. Look at that. That's awesome. Good job, ladies. Let's give our media team a round of applause this morning. Um, sometimes those things happen and we can't figure out what to do, but God helped us. Amen. So Ephesians chapter four, verse 11, Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus and he's telling them, Hey, this is what God has laid out in leadership for the church. It says, and he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, or pastors and teachers. Verse 12 goes on to say, Why they're given, they're given to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. How many of you have ever heard a child tell you a tall tale? (laughs) Um, I've heard some crazy things come out of the mouth of children, some even out of my own children's mouth. And this is a very pertinent point that Paul is making. He's saying this, we shouldn't be like kids just believing anything. We shouldn't be like children in this regard. Yes, in our faith and our belief in God, we should have childlike faith. But what Paul is making a distinction of, he's saying, but you can't just go from this to that running here and there with all kinds of different doctrines that come in popular times or in these circles that you're running in because they're based on human cunning and even there is some evil deceit that's going on to try to derail what God has planned for the church. So he says, God is given these five individual positions in the church in order to be able to help equip the saints for the work of the ministry so that they do not act like children in that way. How many of you have ever met a grown-up that acts like a child? Don't nudge your spouse. Okay, so we know what that looks like, and it says there that he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers... But I want to share with you what the marks of an apostle are. According to scripture, the marks of an apostle, and you can find this all throughout 1 Corinthians and in the book of Acts, they had seen the risen Lord himself and been personally commissioned by him. You say, Pastor, I don't know if I'm tracking with you. Let me give you a little explanation as to why we talk about this today. We've talked about the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to the church, and some of those are in the form of human positions, and this is one of those. Now, I don't know if you've ever gotten a flyer in the mail from a different church in the neighborhood or something, and it says, and Apostle Dexter Bambera, special speaker. 
Okay, So the reason why we talk through this today is because people have questions about this. Well, we, we have a pastor and, and we have a children's pastor and a this and a that. But why, pastor, why don't we use the word apostle? So that's why I'm heading in this direction because I want you to know what it was in scripture and what it looks like today. The first thing it says they'd seen, they'd personally witnessed the risen Lord and been personally commissioned by him. You'll notice if you're think if you got your thinking cap on, you say to yourself, "Well, the apostle Paul was he part of that?" Yes. In fact, he actually references it in his teaching and his writings, I should say. Uh, it's mentioned in 1 Corinthians and in Acts when he gives his personal testimony. He says, and even I have seen him, I've been witness to him as one born out of the correct time. Like he wasn't in, in those moments with the 12 that were originally following Jesus. But Jesus did appear to him on the road to a city called Damascus. And he'd been personally commissioned by him. The second thing is supernatural signs and miracles accompanied their ministries. So, uh, although we understand there are some church denominations that say Apostle David or Apostle John or Apostle whatever, we have to understand, according to Scripture, the spiritual uh, mark of an apostle was that there were supernatural signs and miracles in their ministry. So this wasn't just a, I choose to call you Apostle Suzanne. This is, you have a ministry that has very physical evidence that God has put you in that place, and we call you apostle. So number three, they were teachers in the early church. I don't know if you've ever been part of something that's just at its beginning stages, like an organization or your job or a new department and that kind of thing. But in those moments, there's a lot that can go wrong. And so God, in his sovereignty, saw fit to give these apostles to the church during the days of its early development to be able to guide it. So they, they shared what we should believe. They talked about what we should believe and how we should practice this life. If you look through the writings that are in the New Testament, you'll find the apostles, plural, that have written to the churches. They have given instructions about how husbands should treat their wives, how wives should treat their husbands, how you should behave with outsiders or those in the community that are non-believers. talks about all of those things that involve our life now as we follow Christ. So these guys were teachers. Number four, another mark that you find in scripture is that they pioneered, they planted, and they evangelized. That means they went to an unreached people group. If you ever had a a Bible when you were 10 and 12 years old and it had colorful maps in the back like mine did, anybody else had a map in the back of their Bible? And there were little squiggly lines and it was Paul's missionary journeys that he had made where he went and traveled to these places where he had heard there were maybe a few believers, but he wanted to go preach the gospel and build the church. That's what the apostles' job was to do. And then the fifth thing is suffering and persecution. This was commonplace, and it was common to every single apostle that's mentioned in Scripture. These same marks cannot be seen of Apostle Dexter in the flyer that you get in the mail from the other church in the neighborhood. So that's why I just clearly line this out for you so that you understand why we don't really use that term today as a modern 
title for something that happens in our church. It's not a title that's used within the Assemblies of God Fellowship, but for sure we have been what we would call marked by the work of apostles in our, in our life and development. I don't know if you know this, but over 225,000 churches exist in the world today with the Assemblies of God name on them since 1914. That is a monumental feat that could not have occurred if there weren't people who were willing to go and pioneer and plant and evangelize. In fact, we're here in this building today as a result of someone who had the marks, some of the marks of an apostle. When he decided Clinton, Mississippi sounded like a good place to plant or build a church, he told the leaders of the Assemblies of God here in Mississippi, he said, I think that's the zip code I want to go to. And they said, okay, we've got this burnt out trailer that we just acquired from the government, from the state of Mississippi, and we got it for $800, $900, something like that. If you want to renovate it, you can put it on a little piece of land there in Clinton and you can start your church. That's how we started. Pioneering and planting and going into a zip code or into a place that previously did not have a work of God or a church in our fellowship. So we've definitely had the marks of apostolic, I would say, uh, functions in our development, in our history. So this is really important because I don't want you to call me an apostle. (laughs) Not that you've been tempted to, but I don't want you to call anybody apostle if they don't fit these marks that are in the Bible in the New Testament of what we've seen. So I move on from there, which is a role. It's not necessarily listed in the whole word of wisdom, word of knowledge, in the gifts that are mentioned in other places, but it is a gift to the church, and it has to do with outreach. Those apostles would travel to places, and they would reach out to others. The second thing that we're, the second gift as a person would be today is the gift of an evangelist. So the Bible talks about the gift of an evangelist. We just read in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 that God gave to the church these people, these individuals. And this is really important for us to understand. I'm thankful he didn't call me to be an evangelist, but he called me to be a pastor. That's just, I'm thankful I'm living out the calling that he's called me to. But if you'll notice on the screen, there's a second word there, and that's the active word of what we're talking about. So just because you have not been called by God to be an evangelist does not mean you have not been called by God to evangelize or to be part of evangelism efforts. Evangelism is a really big word. This word just broken down helps us understand the God-given grace to communicate the gospel clearly to people who don't know it. That's really what it is. It's clearly communicating the gospel, the good news, to someone who is a non-believer who does not believe in Jesus Christ yet. And when they, re- when they do that, then people respond to the gospel message, give their life to the Lord, and then those evangelists help connect those people into a process we call discipleships, like how to grow as a believer. 
I love that about Billy Graham Crusades. And if you didn't know your pastor, how many, and has anybody in this room besides me been to an, a Billy Graham Crusade? You've been to one? Okay, awesome. Amazing. That's cool. Um, I've been to an, uh, a Billy Graham Crusade and I responded at that crusade. It might have been the 37th time that I prayed, but I responded and and prayed. And I remember really thinking, wow, this is a pretty neat operation when I came down and I prayed and they gave me a booklet because that booklet explained not just what has happened in my life, but what I am supposed to make happen in the next days, months, years to come. So an evangelist doesn't just show up and say, Jesus loves you, has a plan for your life, and run. He actually helps or she actually helps to connect you into the process of discipleship. And we have a job as believers to share our faith with others. But when we talk about the evangelist, it's a special grace that's given to certain people. We do have a responsibility, each and every one of us, to share the good news of Jesus Christ with others. Go with me to Matthew chapter 28. We often highlight this or call this the Great Commission. The Great Commission would be Jesus' final words that he shares with the disciples who were with him. It says, verse 16 of 28, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I want you to just have a little bit of hope. If you've ever had a moment of doubt after becoming a believer, these men had slept, ate, bathed, fished, walked, traveled, met his family. They had lived with him. And it says in these final moments here on the earth, before he leaves them, some doubted. That's incredible when you think about it. But God still loves them anyway. Amen? Look at what he continues to say in verse 18. It says, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, Teaching them to observe, that's where discipleship comes in. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus gives them this great commission for them to go and make disciples. Them to go and share the good news. And you may think, wow, that's awesome. I'm so glad they did. Think about it like this. If they were the only ones to have done so, the message would have died long before it got to you and me. If someone somewhere didn't have the encouragement from the Holy Spirit to speak up and to open up their mouth and share their faith with someone else seven generations after those disciples had died, we wouldn't know anything about the belief that we have today. We wouldn't have belief in Jesus. We may not be believers. There may not be millions of believers on the planet today had they not done their job and the ones they reached not done their job and the ones they reached done their job. And I have something sad to tell you. Religion and Christianity specifically 
is on the decline in America, and I have a feeling is directly related to people who won't open their mouth and share their faith with their friend, their family member. It really, in those days, was turning the world upside down, the message of the gospel. In other places in the world, it's turning the, their part, portion of the world upside down. But we see the results of a lack of evangelism in a country, in a place, or not a country, in a region like Europe. In a place like Europe, in any one of those given countries you can travel to today, and you can go on a Saturday night to a cathedral building that is a nightclub. They've not t- torn down the historic building, but they stopped having services and they sold the building, and someone thought it'd be cool to have a nightclub inside of a cathedral. And so that's exactly what's happened. There's a complete lack of knowledge of God in places in Europe and in other countries because there's been a lack of people sharing the love of Christ and the message of the gospel with them. And you think, well, hey, we're living in America. It's the greatest country on earth. That's never going to happen here. I don't know if you've read the news or heard the news recently, but it's definitely a possibility. And it's coming faster and faster because we as believers have not done our duty as we should to share our faith with others. We've got this duty to share our faith with others because we've been rescued. And we should be telling those who are drowning, there's a rescue available to them. Amen? So it's been said that the greatest joy in life is knowing Christ. And the second greatest joy in life is making him known. And I, I, I have had the pleasure, the opportunity of leading several people to Christ in my life. And it is amazing. Personal relationships that got to the place of being able to say, do you think you're ready now to give your life over to God? That's, it's an incredible feeling to know that you were part of that. And some of us here in this room have been part of that. But by God, I want all of us to have that experience because we have people in our lives that we love that we don't want to see go to an eternity without Christ. Look at what 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5 Paul tells his son in the faith, his spiritual son, Timothy, he tells him all of these encouragements are listed, but just a small portion of that verse, he says this, and do the work of an evangelist. Now, he was not an evangelist by nature, but Paul is telling Timothy that he's got to share his faith with others. So you and I need to be prepared in how to share our faith I don't know if you're like me, maybe you've stumbled through it and then they've asked you a really hard question and you thought, well, let me text my pastor. I don't know. (laughs) Um, We've all kind of been blindsided or caught unaware in the midst of a conversation and then we get freaked out and worried and then we get kind of trigger shy to get back into it. But I want you to think about it like this. When sharing the gospel, the good news, Literally, it's just four or five things. God created the world, including you. The world is broken, even still today, including you. The reason it's broken is something called sin. 
The remedy to sin is what Christ did for us on the cross. And we have hope as a result that not just a human died a sacrificial death, but we have hope because we see that he is the son of God and testify to that because of his resurrection from the dead. There is no, no ability for you, there is no ability for you to just tell yourself to get up from the dead. But Jesus rose from the grave and he lives still today for you and me. And he's coming back. That's literally the gospel message. You figure out how to put that into a conversation however you want to. But that's literally the highlights. That's the big deal or the big point is that God created you, he loves you, you broke you, he heals you, and there's hope for you. Like it is really much more simple than I think we give, we give it license or credit. So think about this next time that you start to have a conversation. And don't worry about the hard questions. Hard questions happen. And sometimes you won't know the answer. Here's what I've said when I do not know the answer. Someone's asked me about the Bible. Let's look at it together and let's find out. You know, I've never really thought about it like that. But I think there's some verses that Paul talks to the church about this. You know, I've never really thought too much about that question. I don't really have the answer. But I think Deuteronomy and Leviticus, we we should probably start searching those. Start going through the Bible. The word of God can be a a candle, a, a torch that illuminates the heart of humanity. And you just have to look at it and find it. So I say that to say, you know, we... I, I looked up a stat. I'll, I'll put it like this, and then we'll move on to something really, really interesting. I'll give you this stat. I looked it up. Over 6 million... You can fact check me on Google. Over 6 million auto accidents happen every single year in the United States alone. That's from 2019. But yet you don't think about those when you go to start your car and go to work in the morning. You've somehow, you understand there's a risk. There's going to be some crazy person on the road but you still get in the front seat and you still drive your car. Okay, are you picking up what I'm putting down? Just because there's a risk involved that you might, huh, I don't know, maybe. Or because they might say, you know, I don't know, but uh, I have these questions and you don't have answers to them either. Maybe you're just not really a believer. Just because there are some risks involved in sharing your faith. And thank God, it's just those little risks Think about it like this. That's risk here in America. But in other places around the world, the risk is if you mention something like this about the life-giving, hope-giving message of the cross and the empty tomb, you could be persecuted, thrown out of your family, thrown out of your community. I mean, all we have to have is a little ding to our pride to cause a... Okay, I'm preaching to myself. I'm moving on. I'm just saying it's worth sharing the good news of the gospel with someone. And you don't have to wear the, I call it a sandwich board. I don't know. You don't have to wear the menu sign on the sidewalk and be shouting, Jesus is coming to be like, that's not what we're talking about. And please don't tell them you're from Celebrate Church if you do that. Okay. 
But what we're saying is the relationships you have in this life, the buddies that you have, the friends that you meet in the clubs you're part of or the groups you're part of or the hobbies that you have or the neighbors that live next to you, to have these conversations that come up and to know where to take them, it's a powerful thing. And I think our future world depends on it. I really do. I'm convinced of that in a moment like this. And I pray that I'm convinced of that in the next moment that just life is doing its thing throughout the week and I'm sharing something with someone. I want you to be sensitive to that too, not just in a moment here in church on a Sunday, but sensitive to the hurt that exists in the people's lives around you. Sensitive to how much they need and really could use that life raft of the good news. Amen? So let's move on to the third thing, which is really interesting, and I'll go really quick. <laughs> Tongues. Okay? First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. The second part of that says, as it's talking about gifts, as Paul the apostle... Oh, she's getting up to leave. She's, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Don't look at her, look at me. Uh, I say that because she'll be embarrassed that I said this and she'll probably punch me in the arm later. <clears throat> First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, it says this, as Paul's talking to the church about the gifts, he says, to another, various kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. Now, I don't want you to check out on me, okay? I know we said apostle, you know, don't check out on that one. Evangelism, we all have a job to do. Don't check out on that one. When it comes to tongues, that's mentioned here in the Bible, and I have to share it with you. Um, if you didn't know, I work hard to present the full gospel message. I truly do. Um, to give you the biblical truth in a way that's, uh, practical. It may not always be palatable, but it is absolutely practical in your life. And so I want to share with you today what the Word of God says about this so that we can understand it in its fullness. Now, there are two different purposes or different categories or uses, we could say, of tongues that are mentioned in Scripture in the New Testament. I'm only going to talk about one today because I don't have time to do a whole series. We do cover this in our uh, series on the Holy Spirit later in the year. We'll talk in depth about these things. But there are two different purposes given throughout the New Testament for speaking in tongues or an unknown language. The first is a sign that is always, say the word always, always to be accompanied with an interpretation. There's literally in Scripture no exception for this. And then there's a secondary purpose or a second distinct purpose, and that is a means of personal prayer. So what we're talking about today would be a gift to the church, not in the way of I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit and now I speak or pray in tongues personally, privately when I'm at home and I do what Paul the Apostle says in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. When my mind doesn't know what to pray, I pray with my spirit. I pray with my understanding and sometimes without my understanding. I, I'm not talking about that moment. I'm talking about something that's a public demonstration 
of the work of the Holy Spirit through tongues. And I'm only going to cover the purpose of tongues as a sign today uh, because the Bible really sets some guidelines, some real strong guidelines for its use and its demonstration. In fact, the Apostle Paul, if you read through the entirety of 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, you'll find some interesting details in there. He says, this is layman's terms, this is just your pastor's paraphrase. He says, if you're in a group and you sense the Spirit leading you to speak out, if you don't have the interpretation, shut up. That's, that's my paraphrase of how I see what Paul is telling them. So I've been in services where there have been things that have happened where it was a message, what we would call colloquially or casually, a message in tongues, and then someone speaks out an interpretation in tongues, or not in tongues, but of the tongue that was given. Look at what 1 Corinthians 14 says. Before I lose you, (laughs) I want to show you something. Verse 26, it says this, Paul writing to the church, because he's heard there's some weird stuff going on, And he's trying to correct it. He says, what then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Stop there and just look at that verse for just a moment. I want you to understand something, not just about our church, but about any church you visit or participate in in the future. I always tell you, if you end up moving across the country and you find a new church, you've got to take the truth that you learned here and use it there. If the church service is not done in a decent order, then you should not necessarily stay part of that church. God is a God of order. Yes, there are some moments where chaotic things have happened. We've even had stuff like that happen in our church. But we immediately set things in order in light of Scripture. I don't know if you remember, it was just a few months ago, um, a supernatural moment happened in our service. And my wife, thank God for a wife who understands Scripture and who knows it, she being the worship leader at that moment, then was able to encourage the church and say, what you have just heard is the work of God in our church. And then she gave some explanation for it. So this, this is really important. Every service you ever are part of in a church, whether it's this one or another one, there needs to be order. And in the Corinthian church, Paul was trying to set them up for a win because he was saying, y'all getting together and have an hour upon hour of all this crazy stuff and not really producing any fruit. You need to be together so that you're built up. But everybody's got to take turns and you got to do this and do that. So he's setting some limitations or guidelines there. Look at what he says in verse, after he says, let all things be done for building up. Verse 27, he says, if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three. Why do you think he says that? Just think about that for a moment. I can tell you why a pastor thinks he says that. Because I've worked hard on a message that I feel the Holy Spirit gave me. (laughs) And if all 17 of us in the room that night decide that we've got something from God, then all of a sudden we've got, okay, God wants you to be a generous giver. And then we've got, God wants you to have compassion on the lost. And then we've got, God wants you to grow in your faith. And then we've got, and it's like, God doesn't have ADD. 
even though we do. He doesn't have ADD. He can minister in a chaotic moment and he can speak something to Dan's heart that's different than what he speaks to Paul's heart, even though the same words came out of my mouth. God is awesome like that, but he, he does not have attention deficit disorder. So Paul is saying, let there only be two or at most three and each in turn and let somebody interpret. It's not the church of gibberish. It's the church that is leading a life that's following Christ and attempting to hear from God. And God is doing something supernatural in their midst. But surely, if it's an English-speaking church, there better be something that's said in English. If it's a Spanish-speaking church, there better be something said in Spanish. Because that's for the benefit of all who are there. Look at verse 28, what it says. But if there is no one to interpret, shut up. Okay, that's me. Okay, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. So he's gone from the message or the demonstrated gift of tongues in a public setting to prayer language tongues. If I am in a moment where I'm experiencing God's presence and his power, and I feel the surge of the Holy Spirit inside of me, I better not get wrapped up emotionally in just speaking gibberish. I better pause myself for a moment and see if God is going to speak something that's to the benefit of everybody who's there. If not, then I just need to stay focused. And even though I might get overwhelmed emotionally, I need to speak to my, on my own spirit. Like David did, I told my soul, bless the Lord and speak to God. That's me talking to God right here in this little space. Because I don't have the message in your majority language. There's not a reason for me to speak up and carry on out loud. This is real practical. (laughs) So he says, if there's no one to interpret, then keep silent and speak to himself and to God. The purpose of believers gathering together. Do you know why we come together? It's not to iron some clothes and it's not for tongues. <laughs> she put that on there. Perfect timing. Uh, the reason why we come together is not for us to have something to do on Sunday mornings. The reason we come together is for you and I to be built up. It's not for a show. It's not for you to get goosebumps. I know that's what a lot of people used to think. It's not that God lives in this place and he and he's happy for you to visit it and to be with him for that 45 minutes, hour and a half on a Sunday service. It's literally for your benefit that you come. That's why I tell people all the time this is before COVID and post COVID. Don't tell me that you are a growing believer in a, in a place that has access to churches and you refuse to go to church. You can't be because we're missing the finger of the body of Christ or we're missing the heart of the body of Christ or we're missing the toes of the body of Christ when we are not all together. And the reason why we're together is to be built up so that you can have that message that encourages you and challenges you and convicts you so that this week you live differently than last week. That's why we're here together. 
And that's what Paul was saying to them is, it's wonderful that God has given this gift to the church and it should be used within reason and with these limitations. But for goodness sake, let every single one of us be built up. And that's what we should do. I want to ask the worship team if they would come. I told you I wasn't going to stay long on that that point today, but these three things are outreach-oriented. When a message is given in an unknown language, it causes people who are unbelievers to wonder at what is happening, and it's an open door for explanation to let them in to what God wants to speak directly to them. I've heard of, and I've been in services also, where something supernatural took place. Someone did not know the language that was a known language in the world. I'll give you this instance. It would be like me. I don't speak German. And me being in a service somewhere in the United States and the Holy Spirit impressing upon me, leading me to give that message out in that service and I speak in perfect German and there's a German speaker there who's an unbeliever who hears the gospel for the very first time as a result of that. I know of that happening and that's a powerful supernatural thing that there's no way that could ever be manifested or made up by us as people. But I also know that talking about something like tongues is unique doesn't happen everywhere and also when we talk about it chances are there are people who have had a bad experience before in a certain setting or certain situation certain church service where you've seen something done that didn't go the way that scripture says it should go and so there might be some hesitation I'm not trying to force you to believe something I'm trying to show you the truth of God's word And then you simply just say, Holy Spirit, help me understand. If you want more understanding about it, I've said it several times in the message today, but research it and look in God's word. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14, Paul gives all kinds of insight about what it is, what it does, when it should be used, when it shouldn't be used, all of those things. I want you to stand with me today. Tongues, obviously, isn't the only thing we talked about. We talked about the apostleship, uh, that role in the church. That's not really something that I'm interested in telling you to pray for today. Lord, make me an apostle. A modern-day version of that, I would say, would be people who lead denominations or what we would call pastors of pastors or leaders of leaders. They have that apostolic function, even though we don't call them that. But I am telling you, the two scenarios that you can pray for today is the evangelism scenario and the spiritual side of being filled with the Spirit and understanding more about that. I really think that our lives would be different and better, and even our church, if each one of us took time this week to share our faith. You're not going to share it perfectly every single time. You're not going to have every single answer that's necessary every single time. But I think more could be done that isn't being done. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads with me today? I want to pray for us here at Celebrate Church that we would be 
obeying God's word and honoring his word and sharing our faith with others. Because really, that's the one thing in this whole message that you can absolutely do. Share your faith with others. God, I thank you for the opportunity we have to gather in the freest country of the world the freedoms that were provided to us and we honor them this weekend, those who gave their life. We only do that one day a year, God. I pray that you'd help us honor your life and your death every day of the year. Lord, help us to do so by sharing our faith and the good news that you love us that you died and risen from the grave for us and that you're coming back for us. Help us to be the ones that share that with someone this week. Holy Spirit, put people in our path. Open up doors of conversation. Help us to stretch ourselves outside of our comfort zone and make the conversation happen this week. Lord, we trust you for